A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I feel like I've been in the same conversation a hundred times with a hundred different friends, which goes approximately like this. How can we find a way that we're not living in the same house, but living right next door to each other? or in the same neighborhood where we can walk to each other, or in some sort of compound out in the mountains where we can churn butter and sing songs on the mountaintops. Essentially, like, how can we be in community in this digitally enabled world? Which means that, like, yes, we're closely connected, but not running into each other and smelling each other's shoes and, you know, like, making each other dinner without having planned it. And that's a conversation that I think our guest Danny is in today as well. Yeah, I feel like so many of our conversations end up being about the way that structures constrain us and trying to live within those structures. And I'm really excited to talk to Danny because I feel like she's another person who's like, there are structures that don't work for me. And that doesn't mean that I should be denied all the benefits of those structures. And I feel like these are really live questions, I feel like, for our generation and future generations that I'm really grateful to be a part of. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Danny. Danny is a legal assistant who lives in the Pacific Northwest and self identifies as a nerd and cat mom. Danny is also someone who I get to spend like two or three virtual hours with a month and is a joy in my life. And I am very excited that she is joining us on the show today. So, Danny, can you please tell us a little bit about what brought you here? Yeah. So, my question is should I get a roommate? And this question, I think, at first blush seems like a really simple yes, no question, but it actually has a lot of layers for me. So a little bit of background is that since high school, I've always wanted to live alone. It's been a goal of mine. So I moved out of my parents' place. I lived with roommates in undergrad, moved back in with my parents, moved into an apartment, had a roommate. 
And then at age 25, I achieved my goal. My roommate moved out of my current place, which I own, and I've been living alone since early 2019. Obviously, when I made that decision, I didn't know (laughs) what was going to happen in 2020. So I feel like a lot of the reason this question's on my mind is that the pandemic really exacerbated some of the challenges of living alone because I was really on my own quite a lot for a couple of years. But I really like living alone and I always wanted to because I really value my alone time. I'm an introvert. I like things just so. I really enjoy the experience of having my own space with all my own stuff just the way I like it. So this question isn't one where I'm currently unhappy and I need to make a change. It's more like, oh, I'm I'm pretty comfortable as I am. But do I want to close the door on ever making a change? Because, yeah, I mean, I'm 28 years old now. I achieved this big life goal that I thought was going to take me much longer. And now I'm just kind of looking into the future and wondering what that's going to look like. So that's what's been on my mind kind of during the past couple of years. What would be the benefits of having a roommate move in? Well, I worry that I'm closing off some types of intimacy or closeness that I could have with friendships. You know, I've, I lived with a roommate who was pretty much the ideal roommate. I mean, he was quiet and neat and understood my idiosyncrasies and all of that good stuff. And I still feel like I didn't really take advantage of it. You know, we'd have dinner a couple times a week and he always did the cooking, which was great. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't we didn't necessarily like achieve some sort of level up in friendship that I sort of I see other friends of mine have these roommates that they spend so much time with and they're really close to. And even roommates or even partners, right, that just have that kind of closeness. And I worry sometimes that I'm just because I'm comfortable as I am, I'm not stretching myself outside of a comfort zone to see if there's like gifts that I could be missing out on in my life. So, Hmm. yeah. Danny, I'm going to ask an obvious question and a very personal one. So feel free to be like, I don't want to talk about this, but you talk about a lot of your friends being partnered, but you're talking about wanting a roommate. So does this mean you're not looking for a partner? You're looking for like a buddy to live with? I don't mind talking about it. Yeah. I mean, at the current moment in my life, I identify as asexual and aromantic and I'm not expecting to have like a conventional sort of romantic partner or partners or kids. Like that's just not something I see on the horizon. But I also, I'm sensitive to the fact that those labels mean very different things to a lot of different people. And for me, I would say it's not a super important part of how I think about myself. It's more just sort of the default of not actively desiring those things at this point. I tell people like, you know, I tell my mom or people who are like, but don't, are you sure? Don't you want that? Like, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll turn 35 and I'll fall in love and then that'll be my life. And I just don't know it, but it's not something that I expect to happen. So I I sort of think about my life planning in terms of this. These are decisions I will be making on my own. That makes so much sense to me. And you mentioned something I wanted to ask about, which is like, what's happening around you? Because I think these questions are so shaped by what we see the people we love doing. And I wonder if you could talk us through maybe some kind of like example housemate relationships that you're like, that seems really cool. Like, what does it look like? What do you, what do you see? Oh gosh. So, I mean, most of my friends are coupled off and married in the last couple of years. I've got like three sets of married friends who either just bought a house or in the process of buying a house. So I have that sort of more Mm -hmm. conventional example in front of me. But I also have a friend of mine who used to live with me, now lives with another friend of ours. And I don't know, they just, they hang out together all the time. And they have that thing where they can hang out in a room together and 
I think you call it parallel play in like child mm-hmm. development, right? Where they're both doing their own thing, but they're in that space together and they have that comfort. Um, and I think they get along really well and, you know, neither of them seem to have any complaints. And I just think it's a, a pretty sweet deal they've got going on. You know, this is where they're comfortable and happy. And I, in the abstract, I see that and I think, well, that sounds kind of nice. And then I think about it in the concrete and I go, but yeah, but then someone would be in my house all the time. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm, I guess my question for you is you said right now I'm comfortable, but is that enough? What's wrong with being comfortable? Nothing. I think I was talking earlier about some of the reasons I wanted to live alone is that I like my space to be just the way I like it. And I'm I'm a very meticulous person. But, you know, I think there's perhaps an extreme to which a person might reach where, say, they make to-do lists to keep track of their to-do lists and everything in their home has its perfect little spot. I worry about myself slipping into some sort of unhealthy rigidity. And I think the pandemic has exacerbated that because I already had anxiety mm. about travel, for example, and sort of the unpredictability and, you know, kind of how you have to think on your feet no matter how well you plan. And and now I'm like, I'm never leaving my neighborhood again. It sounds so scary getting on a plane. Why would anyone ever do that? And so things like that, where I just worry that the more I let myself just be comfortable and I've set my routines and I never deviate from them, there could be stuff I'm missing out on that I'm just not contemplating because it sounds hard or stressful to make those changes. Mm. So let me say back to you what I think I'm hearing. And you can be like, yes, this is it. You love living alone, but you're like, I don't necessarily love who I might become if I keep living alone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I worry about it. And I joke that, you know, the line between staying home alone as an act of self-care and staying home alone because you're falling into a depressive spiral is but a gossamer thread. And sometimes you can't tell which side of that line you're on. And that's something that the pandemic really taught me about myself, where I'd be like, why am I in the most horrible mood in the world? Oh, is it because I haven't spoken to another human being in person in 12 days? Yes, that's why. You know, like, And that's yeah. the kind of thing I worry that I'll just start hermiting myself more and more because it's easy to do if you're on your own. It's easy to do if you come home at the end of the day and it's just me and the cat and that's that forever, you know? So that's kind of what worries me a little bit. Danny, is this also based, and I'm going to use an I statement, right? Like part of why it was important to me to be partnered was I'm like, the world is scary. And like, what if I need someone to drive me to the emergency room or like, I get laid off <laughs> like someone who would have to pay the bills. I happen to love my partner and I'm very lucky, but like it was important to me just because I think the world is scary. And so I'm just wondering if that's part of it. Sometimes it's tolerating the inconvenience, but for a sense of safety. That is absolutely part of it. And I almost didn't bring it up because it feels so like self-centered. Like I want another person because I want there to be a person to for whom I am the priority, like in their life decision making, not in the sense of being partnered in that way, but because both like you were saying in the financial sense and that someone needs to drive me to the hospital sense, but also in the when I am at my most maudlin, if I am feeling down on myself, I'll sit there and go, everybody in the world is going to get married and have babies. And then where am I going to go on Christmas? Like that is where my head goes. And that sort of you know, it's not, it's not like that's on my mind. I'm not walking around all day feeling sad about that. But when I'm down for some other reason, that's the kind of thought that will pop into my head. So it's like, okay, if I had my, my person who I lived with, I've got a date for Thanksgiving dinner, so to speak. So that's definitely a part of it too. 
I'm really touched by that partly because like I really get it. And it feels, Danny, like this is a question about a housemate and about living together, but it's in a way a deeper question about like, where do I fit in in structures of of relationship, right? Like who are the people I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving with? Like who are the kids that other people might have that I can be an aunt to or like a loving adult to, right? Loving safe adult to. Who are the people in the structure of my belonging for the rest of my life? And that that's a that's a whole different thing than just a roommate. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and to be clear, like I've got sisters who will definitely invite me to their house for Christmas. Like I'm not, I know that I'm not going to be forgotten about by everybody in my life, but it's just that's the kind of thing of like oh, I'm not going to yeah. have that. And I love kids, but I do not want to be a mother. You know, I want to be I want to be there for other people's kids. So yeah, that's definitely a really live part of this question for me. Yeah. Danny, I just want to say, I, I do think it's time to turn to the text, but I do just want to say that this is like so relatable to me and such a structural uphill battle. And I feel like part of the problem is that you would have to be like part of this forefront that I think exists yeah. in meaningful ways of like, there are alternative ways to be other than finding a romantic life partner. Yeah, And yeah, I, like that's really hard and it's stupid that that's the only form of relationship that our government recognizes and that our social structures recognize. So why don't we now turn to your first text? Yes, my first text is a song from the amazing show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And the song <laughs> is called, the uncensored version of the song is called Fuck Ton of Cats. A fuck ton of cats, a fuck ton of cats, a fuck ton of cats. Way too many cats. When you're a permanent bachelorette, it's mandatory that you go out and get a fuck ton of cats. And so for some context, this is Rebecca, our protagonist, and she is singing a song about how because she has all these unhealthy coping mechanisms in her dating life with men, she has decided to pivot and embrace being a spinster forever and ever because Rebecca tends to act in extremes. So if she's not going to be boy crazy, she's going to swear off men forever. So the lines are, I walk myself down to the lonely lady cat store. The smell is overwhelming inside. This is the future smell of my house. It's the smell of my dreams that have died. Um, and it goes on and there's another line where it talks about the sales lady going home early to her sad walk-up apartment that's filled with her own fuck ton of cats that she got at a discount because she works at the cat store. Because she works at the cat store. It's a very funny song. And the reason I'm drawn to it is because, I mean, the language is so, it's a lonely lady cat store. This is the smell of her dreams that have died. The walk-up apartment is sad. Everything about this is the worst. My my takeaway from this song is that for Rebecca, this is sort of a nightmare. This isn't what she wants. But the sort of dominant cultural narrative that it is sad and pitiable to be a single woman who lives alone with cats is one that I take umbrage with <laughs> in a big way. Do you find people projecting this kind of like negative stereotype on you? Like, are there little remarks that people make or yeah, how, like how does it show up? Family. I don't want to say my parents because honestly, my parents are are wonderful. And like my mom and I have had many conversations about this because we're very close. And, um, hmm. you know, for her, she said this, like, I, I would have been very lonely had I not, you know, met your dad and they've been happily married for over 30 years. And the life that I contemplate for myself is one that would have made her feel very 
bad. And so she has had a hard time not projecting that on me and being like, but I worry, I don't want you to have this bad experience because for me it would have been. But yeah, I know I have re- like more distant relatives have said things, you know, in the past when I've said, I'm not going to have kids. They say, oh, well, you'll change your mind and I'm not ever going to get married. Oh, well, you'll, you'll, you'll feel differently when you're a little older, that kind of thing. And also I think I approach conversations about this with preemptive defensiveness. So even if people aren't giving me that pity or condescension, I think I projected on them because I'm aware that the goal of like being happy is supposed to be, and I'm using air quotes, uh, which podcast listeners can't see, but um, <laughs> our, we can hear it in your voice. You were doing excellent air quote voice. Oh, thank you. Uh, the goal, you know, the goal is supposed to be that you find a partner and that you have kids. And I think obviously even within that, there's a lot of malleability. Like I think now we have more conversations about maybe you have more, more than one partner and different sort of lifestyles that are a little less rigid and heteronormative and all of that. But even so, the goal is supposed to be romance mm. and often children. And then you will have achieved sort of, you'll have unlocked that life achievement and then people won't feel sorry for you. But if you don't do that, even if people aren't rude to you about it, there's this sense that they're like, oh, well, you failed in the way that people are taught that they must succeed for happiness and you're doing so well despite that, (laughs) you know, Mm. that's kind of the attitude that I, I worry that I would get from people, I guess. Yeah. It's like when I leave the room, what are they saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really strikes me about the relationship between, or even the kind of mythic relationship between a woman who is not partnered and the cats that she loves is there is a relationship of care And I'm curious, where do you receive care and where do you get to give care in your day-to-day life? Yeah, well, first of all, I have the cuddliest cat in the universe, so that is very nice. She's very sweet. Um, she's sleeping back there, so I, I do feel I do feel very loved by my cat. You know, which again, like I try to push back against my instinctive defensiveness. Like that sounds so stupid. Like mm. it's just a cat, but also I'm really close. My sisters are just are slightly less than two years younger than me, and they're twins, and the three of us are very close. I talk to one of my sisters on the phone all the time, who the one who lives a little further away. Mm. And I feel like we have the kind of relationship that's the closest to that parallel play thing I was talking about earlier, where we can just kind mm. of talk about nothing or whatever, just sit around and not have anything to say to each other, but still be connected. Um, so yeah, and, and I'm really close to my parents and I have like kind of a core group of friends from undergrad that we do movie nights and we play D&D and, and I feel like we've all gotten better since undergrad at being friends and about being honest about how we feel. And I will say this group of friends is one where I felt comfortable telling them, you know, hey, you all live with someone, your your spouse or your roommate, and I don't. And so I need you to keep inviting me to stuff. I need you to keep telling me you're always welcome at my thing. Yeah. Even if I say no to you over and over, because sometimes I do because I want to be alone, just keep asking. Yeah. And like, I do feel like I have friendships where I'm comfortable expressing that to them, which has been a really good thing. It strikes me so much that in this text, it's the smell of my dreams that have died is like the exact opposite of what you have described. Like you dreamed of living alone. Now you live alone. You have loving relationships with your sisters and your parents and this incredible group of friends where you can be very honest about like, this is what I need from you to, you know, feel really included and cared for. I love this text, but it also feels like It's something that's being put on you by society, which is so unrepresentative of what your actual experience is. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's a big part of the, of the whole thing for me is that in my day to day, just walking around doing my thing, I'm like, yep, pretty great, pretty happy, pretty normal. (laughs) And then I have like a flash where I think about what about 20 years from now? And oh no, you know, if I don't have kids, who's putting me in the nursing home when I can't make decisions for myself? And then I'm like angry that the systems that exist only accommodate for that one sort of path. Yeah. But given that that's the reality of the dominant sort of cultural narrative, I'm still left feeling like I have to replace it with something. And that's like the thing that's stressful. I mean, it's just so interesting, right? Because the dominant cultural narrative is like you have to be in a romantic partnership and have kids. And yet we know statistically that like those things fail at least as often as they succeed. And like not all kids care about taking good care of their parents when they're elderly. And like what we actually need is a better pension system and social security system for elderly people. It shouldn't be on kids who are trying to pay off their student loans to get right. Like these are systemic problems. And yet these fears are so real. Part of me, just as someone who cares about you, is like, no, I want someone who checks in on you because what if you break your leg? What if you slip on the bathroom floor and break your leg and you're too far from your phone, right? Like, yeah, I, I right? absolutely that you and my mother both like and the thing and my, and my mom <laughs> <laughs> and my mom is that person for me right now, right? Like I have a really close relationship with my mom and we talk all the yeah. time and I am over at her house, mul- like at my parents' house multiple times a week and I just... I walk right in. I have the key. You know, that's that's the situation. And I'm so glad I have that. And like I was talking earlier about the sort of when I'm down, I suddenly I'm like, I'll be alone at Christmas. I'm also like, oh, my God, someday they will die. Mortality will screw me over and then I'll be well into middle age by then, you know, fingers crossed. But even so, then I'm like, but then I can't call my mom and then I won't have my yeah. the spouse that's supposed to be that fill in. But I, I think... um Something that's occurring to me that I didn't really think about before coming into this is that I feel really selfish in the way I think about and frame these conversations because it's all about I need to have a person in case I need them. And I'm not really thinking about what I might offer somebody in any sort of partnership, whether that be, you know, romantic or just like a platonic sort of roommate situation. I'm framing it around like if I am in dire straits, I want someone who's checking in on me. And not, I, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time contemplating like the reverse of having that care, I guess. And that's a really annoying thing sometimes, right? It's like to be needed is one of the things that gives our life the most meaning, but it is also an inconvenience to the plans that we have. And so I really love that that's a door that's opening in, in this conversation, because I think you are clearly someone who has their life together, who is extremely thoughtful, caring, like competent, like all all of these things. Has amazing hobbies and friends and communicates with their friends about what they need. Seriously, healthy relationship with parents, loving cat, you know, all of these things. And living with people or having, having that kind of more interrupting, integrated relationship in your home, especially, would interrupt a lot of that. And so... Yeah, I'm curious, like, how willing are you to be needed by more people in an everyday kind of experience? Yeah, I think whenever I play the imagination game with, like, could I live with this friend? Could I live with this friend? You know, uh, can't live with my sister because she's a slob and we would fight all the time and, you know, can't, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) I love you. But um, but (laughs) I, I tend to sort of 
think about it in terms of how to minimize all the inconveniences. And I just like, I, I genuinely really like that I can walk around my house and go where I want and talk to myself out loud like a crazy person and like no one's around to bother and decide what time of day I'm going to eat my meals and not worry about you know, someone judging me for taking too long to cook in the kitchen because I'm really bad at cooking and it takes me twice as long as the recipe says it's going to take. And <laughs> like all these little things that I feel like someone else being there would just, would be a frustration. But I also feel like I've, maybe part of this is that I've never really given it a fair shake. Like the roommate that I had after college, after I moved back in with my parents briefly, we had about as ideal of a roommate situation as I can imagine in terms of he was quiet. He didn't have like people over all the time. He was communicative with me about when people would be over or where he was going to be. There's literally, I can't think of things I would have needed to change seriously about like having him as a roommate. And even so I was like, yeah, but when I get home, he's always sitting in the living room and I never have the living room to myself. And like, I found things not even to be annoyed about, but to view as the unideal situation. And that was at the time when the goal was still, I desire yeah. to live alone. And then I did that and I'm like, okay, but did I ever really give it, did I give it a fair shake? Did I try just going and sitting on the couch and doing that, reading my book while he's on his computer thing? Did I try like being at that point in our life, like life partners in a way more than just roommates and like really making decisions together and making plans together and, and like seeing what that would feel like. I don't feel like I gave it a fair shake. And I, f I almost feel like that was my best opportunity to do so. And I said, no, I'm just going to hide up in my room because I don't feel like being around another human. And okay, but you know, mm -hmm. it didn't feel the way that I think like the ideal roommate situation should feel if that's what I want. And yet I don't know how conditions could have been better for that. So I don't know. Yeah. Something that's coming up for me, Danny, as I hear you talk is this theme of commitment. And I'm, I'm like really passionate about commitment. I think commitment equals freedom, right? When we make choices, new depth is able to be discovered because we're present long enough to like see something new. And I hear in what you're saying, actually a desire, not for a traditional like marriage commitment and not for the kind of like prepackaged options that don't work for so many people for so many different reasons. But there is a sense of like, I want to know what I can expect or what I'm responsible for. Like, and, and one way of making that commitment real is by having a human be in your house, right? Because it's like, well, you live here. So if I fall, obviously you're here to help. And one way in which we can make commitment visible or like unspoken things be spoken is through, surprise, surprise, rituals. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, to what extent, like, imagine if you gathered the people who love you and who you love, I'm just curious, like what kind of ritual could you imagine making overt the kind of implicit commitments that clearly exist all around you from all of these people who love you? I'm just wondering if there's something in there for you. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about ritual, the place my brain immediately goes is that I have a lot of commitments that I've made to myself about personal, like daily things I need to do or mm. weekly goals. You know, I have like a pages that I must read per day and words that I must write per day goal. I've got, you know, my cat gets her bath once a week on the same day. Like I'm a very, like mm. I said, I'm very meticulous and I have all these rules and these promises that I keep to myself. And I have far less that I am keeping or making with other people that are as specific and as Hmm. consciously repeated. 
Like I have a friend who we really only connect once every couple of months and we have a Zoom call and it kind of just happens whenever one of us happens to think of the other person, we we send a text. But maybe next time I should be like, okay, let's put something on the calendar literally for three months from today and say we're keeping that date. Because it feels like the kind of friendship where someday one of us is not going to think about the other person for a little bit longer and then that friendship's just going to kind of float away. Mm. So that kind of thing of just making firmer check-in dates with people maybe. Well, maybe now is the time to move on to the second text, because I feel like we've landed somewhere exciting about these, you know, making some commitments to round out your life. But I'm interested to see where our second text takes us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Danny, I feel like you should win some sort of prize for incredible text selection. We've had Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Where are we going with our second text? Okay, the second text is from the sitcom Friends. I felt actually a little bit self-conscious when I was picking my texts because I wanted to sound so intellectual. And then I picked two TV show comedies. And I'm like a really well-read person. I was going to bring some like classic work of literature. But I think the reason why when I was contemplating this question, I kept going back to these shows that are both, they're both comedies. They're both comedies dealing with relationships specifically, both romantic and otherwise. And they're both hangout shows where it's like a group of friends hang out with each other and talk about the things going on in their lives. And that's kind of what this question is about for me of like, who am I hanging out with? Who am I spending all the moments of my life? Just the in between the big things in between career and everything else. It's like, what am I, what am I doing? So that's kind of why I think I, I gravitated towards friends because that's the ultimate hangout comedy, right? It's just the six people and they sit around and they talk to each other and that's the show. So the specific moment 
that I picked from friends is from season six, episode six. Uh, the episode's called The One on the Last Night. And it is an episode where Rachel is getting ready to move out of Monica's apartment because Monica's moving in with her boyfriend. And they're getting into this fight and sniping at each other. And Phoebe says, I don't want to live with Rachel anymore because you two are being so mean to each other. And I don't want living with my friend to ruin that. And Monica pivots as an effort to pawn Rachel off on Phoebe and starts listing all of the nice things about being her roommate. When I take a shower, she leaves me little notes on the mirror. Yeah, I do. I I do do that. (laughs) That's nice. I like having things to read in the bathroom. Fall asleep on the couch after reading. She covers me over with a blanket. Well, you know it. I don't want you to be cold. And when I told her that I was going to be moving in with Chandler, she was really supportive. You were so great. You made it so easy. And now you have to leave. And I have to live with a boy! If the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend text was about, this is what my life is and I want to be defiant and celebratory of it, the Friends text is like, this is what I worry I miss out on by not Mm. making a change. Danny, what's so interesting about the text you brought is that it's about the end of their moment. Mm. Right. The last line of the text you brought and I can hear Monica saying it is and now I have to live with the boy. Right. (laughs) And she's like so nervous about it and upset and scared. And so, yes, like Monica and Rachel had this beautiful thing where it's so intimate. Right. When I take a shower, she leaves me little notes in the mirror which implies that she goes into the bathroom while Monica is showering and steaming up the bathroom, right? Like it implies such intimacy. And yet you picked this moment where it's ending. And I'm wondering how that complicates things for you or if it doesn't. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about how, yeah, because I was thinking of it in terms of this is a list of examples of those little intimacies of having this loving roommate. And I wasn't thinking about like how this is their goodbye to that so much when I picked the text, but it's actually making me realize like, so me and all my friends, we're all in our late 20s, early 30s. And like I was saying earlier, a lot of my friends have gotten married and are getting houses. I have at least two sets of couple friends who are actively talking about how they're going to have kids soon. And so it does feel like part of my worry or stress about this question is like, how will I fit into that new version of what my life is going to look like with these people who are currently my support system? Because like, right, like friends ends when Monica and Chandler move into the suburbs to raise their family. And there's sort of this splintering that happens that is that feels like, again, going back to that dominant cultural narrative, the expected and inevitable end to the, you know, hangout comedy, to the sort of friendship where you just walk into each other's houses and pull stuff out of the fridge without asking and, like, have that casual intimacy. Well, then everyone's going to partner up and have kids, and then you stop doing that. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want that to end. And I also want, like, the vibe of the sitcom, the vibe of, like, living on a college campus where you are all living in close quarters like that is a vibe I don't know that I've 
ever fully appreciated when I've had it and I kind of want to have again, I guess. This whole conversation, Danny, is reminding me of one of my favorite graduation addresses, which is the novelist Barbara Kingsolver. I think it's in 2008 at Duke University, but she has this incredible image that she describes where she essentially asks the graduating class to remember what they loved most about their experience in college. As she says, community, you know, she she has a phrase, something like, you couldn't help but fall over each other's problems on your way out to class because you were in constant, continuous contact. And she paints this picture of what happens in that kind of dominant cultural narrative is that we are on an escalator to isolation, right? Moving to the suburbs, exactly like you were saying with Monica and Chandler, bigger car, bigger house, right? And by no means does this happen for everyone, right? But it is it is a story that we are supposed to aspire to. And what I hear you saying is a rejection of that and looking for what is you know, there may still be some sort of escalator, right? Like we are moving through time, but what is it that you're moving toward? And I mean, I'm hearing in what you're saying, pretty clear that maybe you actually don't want to live with someone, but that you want some form of close, continuous contact to continue in your life. And so I wonder if, what can we look to in what happens in Friends? Like, what do they do together? Like, is it getting together every Friday night and having a meal? Is it a, a trip every year with the same group of friends for a week that everyone commits to? Is it being a godparent for the children of your friends and and taking them on a trip every year or being there at every birthday party? Or like what's in your imagination as you think about those other forms of close continuous contact that might feel right for you? Yeah, I think being an aunt to my friend's kids is a big one. I've said this to my girlfriends who are contemplating starting families. I'm like, I, I mean it. I will babysit for free. Like I want to, I want these kids to know who I am for real. That's a big one. And then, yeah, I guess if I spin out the ideal, I guess what this question is leading me to is just the yearning for the walkable community that doesn't really exist in, in most people's lives anymore of the idea of I could take a stroll down the street and know my neighbors and have maybe the people that maybe it doesn't have to be people who are like my one person who for whom I am their priority, but just people casually and persistently present in my life who know who I am and what I'm up to and vice versa. And that we could be an integrated system of support for each other it just, yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of isolation. It's really hard to achieve that given the way that the world is structured. A hundred percent. Okay, I have two follow-ups. Do you live in a freestanding house or are you in an apartment building? I'm in a condo, so I have share walls with people in a, like a row. Okay. Do you know who they are? I know the names of the neighbors on either side of me and enough to say hi if we see each other outside, but I'm not like friends with them. Right. Which is already a major improvement on nearly everyone. Most people don't know their neighbors at all. Right. So that's one line of ideating that I think is worth exploring only because even just like being a little more involved in each other's lives of like, is there a mini street party or like, is there a like barbecue or like something just with those two neighbors? Like it doesn't have to be the whole neighborhood. So that's one avenue of like creativity but then the other one is, would you be willing to move to live next to one of these friends? Yeah. So 
To point number one, actually, the two people who live on either side of me are also single women who live by themselves. And so I really do feel like there could be a vibe there. One of them's a little older and one of them's closer to my age. Um, and I know their names. I have one of their phone numbers. Maybe I can be That's awesome. the slightly, uh, slightly aggressively pursue <laughs> becoming at least acquaintances with them a little bit more. Feels super awkward to do, but maybe I should uh, take that plunge and be like, hey... <laughs> person whose car is parked next to mine literally every day. I should have your phone number. So that is, I really, I do like that idea. It makes me nervous uh, to talk to basically strangers, but maybe that's a good idea. And in terms of moving, absolutely I would, although a lot of my friends want to live in the city and I'm allergic to the thought of living in the city. I like being up here farther away from Seattle. So yes, in, in abstract, I would totally live, you know, near to my friends and make that choice on purpose. I think one thing that hasn't been brought up in this conversation yet is that where I live right now, I own this. It's my, it's a townhouse that I own and I will probably buy it. I will probably move in the it, several years from now, but, but less than a decade from now, I will probably move into a nicer place. And that feels like a really big decision that might dictate a lot of things. And so thinking about where my friends are settling and do I want to make decisions based on that is tied up in this question for me a little bit. Danny, just one thing I want to point out from both of these texts is that both of them are about transitions or transitional moments. And what I hear you saying is sort of like, I want to set up a life that is reliable. And we all have that desire. And I just want to point out that these two texts are about moments where things change. And no matter what, things are going to change. You're going to live three houses over from your dear friend Casper, and he's going to know where your key is, and you're going to love it when he's just in your apartment when you come home, and then he's going to abandon you and move to New York, right? And then you're going to have to come up with new traditions, like every other year (laughs) trips. And so I just want to say that I feel like you actually are so well equipped for these transitions and for certain commitments and they'll work really well for five years and for 10 years. And those transitional moments are so hard. They're so hard. But I think that the thing I want to say most to you, and I don't know if this lands and so like, please feel free to ignore it, is you're in a really good place right now and a transition is going to come where you move And you can maybe decide based on where a friend is, but like where you are right now, dig into, and you have these two next door neighbors and like invest in that and just know no matter what it is, it is sadly super not forever, right? Like Chandler and Monica are going to move away and people are going to proclaim their love to Rebecca and that's going to mess with her, right? Like it looks solid from the outside, but it's full of that for everyone, That is like super helpful because I think part of my reason why I'm asking about should I make a change is that I worry that the inertia of life will just make everything the same forever and that I will be making a choice by not making a choice. And the fact that like external, external factors will force me into making decisions that will change my life for better or for worse is helpful to think about because I'm the kind of person who will just entrench myself and go, okay, well, I figured it out. I will just stay this way forever because change is scary and 
I think you are right to point mm. out that I don't really have a choice about whether or not I'm going to deal with change. Like, that's just going to be the case. Right. And some of it's yeah. going to be really bad change, right? Like, your parents are going to pass away, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. God willing, before you. I do wonder if you want to lean into a couple of brave changes, right? You said that you're worried you're not going to travel anymore. That's one of the things I heard. And I wonder if you want to pick one friend to go on one trip with that's not scary. You and one friend decide to go to Portland, Oregon for a weekend. I think that there are little ways that you can make sure that you're not becoming what your worst fear social normie brain is saying without being like, I got to get a roommate, right? Which is like so big. Like, And so I just wonder if there are little, slightly brave, but slightly safe ways that you can prove to yourself that you're not stagnant while also just being like, the world is going to change. Yeah, I really like that. I think the neighbors thing is resonating for me of trying to like know them a little bit better and making plans with people, whether it be travel or not, just like that are specific and looking forward into the future. I think those are two things I can do. I think you're right that like getting a roommate feels like the drastic end of the options of like how to avoid what I worry about. So there's definitely intermediary things that I could do in the meantime. Mm. Danny, as we come to a close in this conversation, there's the kind of practical element, right? These small actions that you can take. I'm wondering if there's like an orientation of your heart that you want to remember from this conversation, not even a specific action, but like a, 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 just a kind of emotional direction that you want to lean into as you hold this intention for the future. I think this conversation made me feel better about not having to force myself to change anything on a specific timetable for a specific reason that like, this isn't going to be forever because nothing is. And I don't have to be as proactive as I was sort of imagining I had to be about avoiding certain fates I want to avoid. Like I can just, I'm, I'm not unhappy and I'm not in any sort of distress right now. And so I can maybe just let myself float on that and not be so worried about what a decade from now looks like. I I love that you're asking this. I think so many of us are trying to figure out different ways to live, different ways to be in community, different ways to be in loving, committed relationship. And I really hope that everything that is right for you comes to pass. Thank you very much. Danny, thank you so much. And we would also like to thank Cecilia Cava for this great quote from Virginia Woolf which is one cannot think well, love well, or sleep well until one has dined well. Amen. Amen indeed. (laughs) Yummy, yummy. (laughs) You've been listening to The Real Question. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod if you enjoy the show. We support entirely on your donations. So thank you for being part of that. And if you love the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and on Twitter at therealqpod. Big shout out to our BFF tier patrons, Amanda Schramm, Aoife Howe, Ashley Mayle, Eloise Faring, Mary Margaret, Stephanie Fedowish, Jenny Cruz, Kristen Hall, Becky Boo, and Ari. 
We are an Otsari production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we were produced today by the great AJ Uramas. We are mixed by Erica Wong, and our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We would like to offer a big, big, big thanks to Danny for joining us, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, Gabby Iori, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.